Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. I want you to join me, if you will, in the book of 2 Timothy. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to join me in 2 Timothy chapter 2. And I'm going to begin reading the, the first four verses. And uh, let's just see what the Lord will do for us tonight. How, how about that? The book of 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And then verse number four, he said, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. No man going to battle, no man going to war would dare entangle themselves with the affairs of this life. And the reason for that is so that he could please them, him that called him to begin with to be a soldier. Amen. And so if you are and have family or if you yourself have been in the military, you understand the military implications here. And that if you are a part of any branch of the military, and uh, they are calling on you to go to war. They're not expecting you to be entangled with anything else. But their cause are the cause at hand. And so I, I want to just speak tonight from this thought. Not entangled. Not entangled. And may the Lord bless you. You can be seated. And thank you for your worship tonight. What a refreshing uh, atmosphere has been set as we come into this house. In some of his last words to Timothy... Paul wrote some incredibly powerful instructions. According to Webster's, and I'm going to just kind of make my focus this evening on the fourth verse of 2 Timothy 2. And I want to focus on the word obviously entangled. And so Webster's definition of the word entangled used here means to be interwoven, wrapped, or twisted together in such a manner as not to be easily removed. And I, and I think that definition must be clearly understood. Interwoven, wrapped, twisted together, not in some random fashion, but with the intent as not to be easily removed. It pictures something twisted together. It pictures something entangled or entwined. I could even say it fixes something that would be confusing or something that could be perhaps even a mess. We have common items around our house and in our lives that uh, it's not unusual for them to get entangled. 
And so maybe this being the Christmas season, it would be a good illustration to talk about Christmas lights and extension cords for just a moment. <laughs> oh, there have been times I just wanted to go buy another set. It would just seem to be the path of least resistance to be easier to go buy a new, another box and untangle the mess that is before us. And uh, obviously Paul was not talking about common household items or things of that nature being entangled. He was referring to something far more critical, and that is our lives. And so the question that's born from this word of instruction is this, for each and every one of us, and that is, is my life entangled with anything that would prohibit me from being fully used of God? Now, we are in this world, a very worldly world, and so we can't just go live in a cave and pretend that nothing is going on around us. So we live in this world. But I've got to ask myself, am I entangled with the affairs of this world or am I entangled with anything that would prohibit me from being fully used of God in the fashion that he wants to use me in? Perhaps even something that seems small and even innocent can prohibit us from being free. We often think about... Uh, when we think about obstacles or something holding us back, it would be a common human tendency to think that we could associate that to something or someone. If it had not been for this thing or if it had not been for this person, then perhaps I could be more free or liberated to do what I would like to do. And to a degree, I understand that. Um, but James I think has a word that we can't discount. And that is in the book of 1 James, or in the book of, not 1 James, but in the book of James chapter 1, it actually is 1 James, I suppose, by default. James chapter 1 and verse 14, James said this, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And so James just kind of clears the fog out of the air and said, before you try to find someone else to pin this on, we have to understand that there is a war going on and that war and that battle is the man in the mirror. That is where the battle begins. James seems to place that upon our own shoulders. However, he isn't the only one to sound such a warning. Solomon said in Proverbs 5 and 22, the scripture says, his own iniquities shall take the wicked himself and he shall be holden with the cords of his sin, his own iniquities. That's what is going to slow walk the wicked down. It will be his own iniquities and he will be taken with the cords of his own sin. The word take, the, he, Solomon says it shall take the wicked. The word take here means to be held captive or to be ensnared or to be trapped. Our own iniquities. That's what holds us hostage. Our own shortcomings and shortfalls, that's what seems to trap us. <clears throat> One writer said, most people who follow unlawful pleasures think they can give them up whenever they please. I'm just gonna do this until I get weary with it. I will do this until I choose to set it down. And so he said, people that follow these unlawful pleasures think that, that just whenever I get ready, I can just cut the cord on this and it will all end. But he said this, sin that is repeated becomes a custom. And a custom soon produces a habit. 
and a habit in the end assumes the form of necessity. Therefore, the man becomes bound, as Solomon said, with his own cords, and he is led captive by the devil with his own leash. And so I will tell you tonight that before you and I try to find somebody else to pin our problems on, we need to go to an altar of prayer and stand in the mirror of reality and say, Almighty God, let your spirit flow through me and speak to me and let there be a revelation, a real revelation of who I am as I stand before you. You see, when we read the book of uh, when we read the book of Judges and we read about the life of Samson, I think to the reader we could honestly and, and to some degree accurately say that Samson was bound by the cords of the Philistines. On more than one occasion, he was bound by various things, we could say, of the Philistines. And, and, and there is truth in that, but I believe the greater truth of that story is found in the fact that Solomon was, that 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 Samson, rather, was bound by the cords of his own lust. It was the wayfaring journey of this man that led him to the lap of Delilah. It was Samson's inability to control his own flesh that caused him the greatest peril. And so a person that gets entangled is only a few steps away from being enslaved. Amen. You're just a few steps away from being enslaved to the very thing that maybe caused you to stumble to begin with. The Greek word for entangle means to weave or to weave in. And so the implication here of scripture is to be intertwined or interconnected closely as by wrapping or twisting together. I read that a moment ago. And so it was used in some writings uh, to entwine one's hand or to entwine one's extremity in another's clothes or his own clothes so as to hold him. And then an illustration of that would be that a runner would be entangled in his own garment and therefore not be able to run at a pace that he had the capacity to run at just simply because of the entanglement of his own garment. Oh, Lord, help me tonight. Amen, that I can cut loose the things in my life that I really don't need, the things that just encumber me, the things that hold me down. Amen. I believe that we have all had moments in our lives, seasons in our lives, perhaps in our own personal families where we're cleaning out a few things. It may be, a, it may be your a whole room. It may be your home. It may just be your junk drawer. Please tell me everybody has a junk drawer. Don't me feel like the only one, please. And we generally, uh, you know, we, we generally feel compelled to clean out the junk drawer when you can no longer close it or open it. I think it's time we organize a few things. You go through there and you ever just wonder why you kept a few things? Because we've cleaned this drawer before, right? We've cleaned this closet before. We've, we've gone through this before but we just hold on. But as we move on, we realize there's a few more things we can live without. There's a few more things I can do without. 
And if I haven't needed this in all this time, it's a good indication that I may never need this in my life. And so I say, Lord, help me to go and stand in your presence and let your spirit and your word reveal a few things to me, things that don't open and close properly. Let me look into the mirror of my own life and not try to find fault in someone else or somewhere else, but let me look in my own life. It's so easy to become entangled with things. Figuratively, it means to, to become so entwined in activity that it interferes with other things that are more important or other things, other things that are, are goals or objectives in our life. And so when we view this passage of Scripture from the angle, when we hold it to the light that the Apostle Paul wrote this passage in, we begin to understand why he was sounding this warning to his protege in the gospel, Timothy. We begin to get a sense of why Paul felt compelled to say this to Timothy so that he could declare it to others to avoid becoming entangled with the affairs of everyday life. And so in the context of Paul's appeal, he depicts someone who is entangled. They're hindered or even controlled Therefore, they're no longer free to function as a child of God or as God would have them to function. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3, Paul admonished him. He said, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And so he brings this military picture into view. The emphasis here is a good soldier. If we're going to be a good soldier, then we're going to have to be enabled by the power and the presence of Almighty God. We must make sure that, that we stay focused on eternal priorities, something that has eternal value to it. I don't want to just spend all of my energy on something that may not even be here tomorrow. I want to invest in something of eternal value and eternal weight. And I've got to be diligent to stay focused on the things that matter most and not allow myself to get held hostage by things that are really, that are really not all that important. And so I've got to keep my focus on eternal things and pursue them with every fiber of my being. And so I will just use this one simple illustration, hoping not to make anybody uncomfortable. But I've spent an awful lot of my life in a pulpit such as this tonight, speaking publicly. And it is very easy, if you're not careful, to get distracted by things that are going on around you. And so you got to work hard to not get distracted by things that happen around you and start chasing after things that don't matter. Because there is a weightier matter at hand. The weightier matter is not this or that, the way to your matter is the word of God. Amen. There's some things that just happen and they can't be avoided. It's just a part of it. Amen. And we want to understand the value of what's eternal and the value of what's most important, not to get sidetracked with something else. You ever, you ever had somebody try to change the subject on you? When you're trying to deal with an issue and they try to change the subject, it was just a way to segue the conversation in another alley, another vein. And, 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 and if you're going to be intentional about what you're talking about, you've got to get back to the subject at hand. Now, there have been many times that I've meandered off the path and I pray that the Lord will help us stay focused on those things that matter most. I want to invest into things that have eternal priorities. And so I've got to be diligent.
I've got to be intentional, not allow myself to get caught up with things that don't really matter at the end of the day. I've got to keep my focus on those eternal things and pursue that with everything that I have. One man said, the less encumbered we are, the more easily we'll be able to execute the slightest command of God. The less encumbered we are, the more readily available we are so to raise our hand and say, here am I, Lord, send me. I hear your voice. I feel that nudge. I feel that tug in my heart. <clears throat> I read this afternoon about a plant that grows in Brazil the people who live there, and especially in the thick forest, refer to the plant as a matador, and others more blatantly refer to it as a murderer. The article spoke about this tender plant, or a plant, a vine with its tender, slender stem that just crawls across the ground of the forest. But when it comes in contact with a tree, it sends out a tentacle. And that tentacle climbs up the tree. And at certain intervals, that tentacle sends out an arm-like shoot or a frond that further entangles the tree around. And then it continues its way up. It climbs. And as the ligatures grow taller and taller, and the, and the fronds wrap around this tree, their grasp, their grip gets tighter and tighter up. And up the vine climbs until it reaches the loftiest point, which is the top, of course, of the tree. And then, as if in some manner of triumph, this deadly vine shoots a huge flowery head above the now strangled tree. What seems to be a beautiful flower really serves as a crown to this now dead tree. But ironically, the vine, the matador, the murderer is not finished. It's then at its zenith that this supposed flower begins to shed. And in this shedding, it scatters more seed for the vine to do its entangling work again on the forest floor. Are you hearing me tonight that it's just a small thing at first, but it makes its way just so far up and then it wraps around so far up and it wraps around until it reaches our entire life. Can I tell you there's no such thing as being too careful. Can I tell you there's no such thing as being too diligent. I must guard the door of my mind. I must guard the door of my mouth. I must guard the door of my eye. I've got to guard the door of my heart. I've got to be careful that I am not entangled with the thing of this world because hear me tonight there is a real enemy out there amen there is a real predator out there that will just take a little here and a little there and I want to just announce it one more time that he'll be as happy to have you at 80 as he was at 18 he'll be just as happy to have you at 50 as he was to have you at 12 so we gotta guard our heart I gotta guard my mind I've got to set a watch. I've got to be very, very careful. Amen. I was looking at a picture a few days ago, Brother Rayleigh, and, and it reminded me of something that you said. We, uh, our, the property where our home is, we, we were tearing down an, an old place there and going to build our home. Uh, right about the corner of where, uh, I guess it would be the uh, southwest corner of our home, where it was going to be, 
there were two trees of some sort. There were small trees. I don't remember what kind of tree they were. And so as, as uh, we had gotten Brother Rayleigh to come and lay out the, at least the, the footprint of where our home would be. And so I was asking him if we could just leave these two trees. They were just small trees. And I may not have this exactly verbatim. Don't call a point of order, please. <laughs> but the footer was going to be right near there. And I thought that would be so cool to have these two trees right here on the corner of our house. And he said something to this along this line. That man could never build anything that nature couldn't uproot. It looks innocent and simple now. And perhaps he understood the whimsical thoughts in our mind and heart. But you see, he understood something that I couldn't comprehend at that moment. I'm thinking steel, concrete footers. I'm thinking block walls. I'm thinking this is going to be able to stand the test of time. But what he knew was that slowly, surely, incrementally, that something could go wrong and it would go very much wrong and it could break the concrete and it could twist the steel we were just somewhere a couple of days ago I, I can't remember where we were and someone was talking about a, a serious plumbing issue that they had and something like a three or four inch uh, sewer line that was running out of, of, of heavy scheduled PVC pipe how that a root had gotten under it and finally little by little by little it had pushed until it broke the pipe. Now in our way of thinking, we would just assume that that the tree, the root, it would give way to that that was greater and stronger and it would grow around. But you see, it was so slow and so incremental. And what it all looked like one day was that just water started coming out of the ground. It looked like something that just suddenly happened. But you see, if we could just somehow go back in time and if we could watch it frame by frame by frame, we would understand that the matador grew up a little bit and then wrapped around and it grew up a little bit and it wrapped around can I tell you tonight it's not worth it can I tell you tonight that don't you need you don't need to invest in the wrong world it will pay dividends that you'll never get the interest paid on it's going to reap something it's going to extract something from you that you are not willing to pay you just think you are willing to pay you just think you're willing to pay oh Lord help us you see, everyday affairs in this similar fashion have a way of just getting a hold of us. Can I tell you that every blessing is not a blessing? Every promotion is not really a promotion. Not if it starts incrementally taking you away from God incrementally taking you away from your ability to invest in the kingdom of God, work in the kingdom of God. Amen. You see what the devil's really doing is not trying to just take your head off at the shoulders with one failed swoop, but it's just a little here and a little there to neutralize your effectiveness, to just neutralize and mute your voice just a little bit. It's that ongoing spiritual world warfare of those three things that'll never go away in this in our world. Amen. And that is the world, the flesh, the 
Amen. It is in the, the world or the worldliness in this in, in this earth, amen, in this time, in this dispensation, and our flesh and the devil. We are facing that every day of our lives. The world, our flesh, and the devil. The world, our flesh, and the devil. I gotta understand that. I'm not trying to create paranoia tonight, but I am trying to create some awareness that when we step outside of our door, so to speak, there's something waiting on us there. That's why I gotta guard myself. I got to arm myself. I must prepare myself that I don't get entangled. I've got to be a, I've got to be diligent not to allow my free time to get so entangled with so many other things that it's no longer free time. In the month of November, we did a 30-30 prayer initiative. Our goal was to pray 30 minutes a day for 30 days. Additionally, we were challenging people that already had a prayer, a consistent prayer life to even add to your daily prayer time. Now, if you're anything like me, you found that you had to be intentional about those minutes that were dedicated to prayer. Amen. You can be seated. You had to be real intentional about those moments and especially additional moments that we're going to invest in prayer, not just the first time perhaps in the morning, but maybe some opted to have a second prayer season in the afternoon or the evening. Amen, why? Amen, why is it that way? Amen, we found, we, because we, we, we find that things that aren't nearly as important as prayer were trying to get to the head of the line. They were trying to cut in front. Amen, there's nothing wrong with doing things that are enjoyable. We all need something that serves as some sort of diversion. However, I cannot allow those things to become spiritual distractions that take me away from God because when this happens my wartime mentality shifts to peacetime mentality and I'm going to get caught with my guard down sadly too many people in the church are entangled surrounded they're in captivity they're held fast and we need to stand in God's examination room and say Lord help me to see myself as you see me are there matadors? Maybe that's a question we should ask ourselves. Are, they, are, are there spiritual matadors, vines in our lives that are growing that need to be destroyed? You see, there's only one thing you can do with something like that. You've got to get rid of it. Yes, you can't just cut it down and think it's all going to be all right. The word for entangled is also used to describe sheep, a sheep in particular, whose wool was caught in thorns. And there's a word picture there that helps to illustrate the main difference between being involved and being ensnared, entangled. Obviously, we're involved in the world. We have to live in the world and work in the world. We do many, many things. We're a part of this life. But simply stated, someone who is entangled, they're not free to get loose when they want to if you're truly entangled. You may want to be loose, but you're not free to be truly loose. So in everyday affairs of this life, hem us in so tightly that we can't free ourselves to fulfill the call that God really has upon our lives. Then we become entangled with thorns, thorns that are non-essential activities. And I got I to gotta make sure that I haven't become so entangled with things that my possessions possess me. May I say that again? I've got to be so careful 
that my possessions don't possess me. Oh, help us, Lord. That happens so easily. And especially in this increasingly materialistic world that we live in, before we realize we can just be so distracted away from the path that God has called us to walk. And I've got to be careful that we don't invest in the wrong world. Hebrews 11.25, the Bible says the pleasures of sin is for a season. Now the writer did not deny that there may be some pleasure found in sin, but he did say it's a seasonal thing. That's what you got to watch out for. It's a seasonal thing. And so just because you're through with sin doesn't mean sin will be through with you. Solomon so wisely gives us some important instructions in, in uh, Proverbs 4 and 23. He says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So you've got to keep your heart right. Amen. You ever thought something you shouldn't have thought? I wonder where that came from. Said something we shouldn't have said? Acting a way we shouldn't that was unbecoming. Where did all that come from? It come from that heart. So we got to guard it, keep watch. Amen. My heart, my moral control center, with all diligence, because I know from it, out of it, flows the springs of life. And that's what determines the course of life. <clears throat> my wife and I are very careful, even in our own country. Of course, you want to be careful out of the country, but in our own country, we're a little bit careful about, well, I shouldn't say a little bit, we are very careful about just drinking water out of the faucet in a hotel. I see it coming out, but what I can't see is where it's coming from. And that's the issue I have. Not, not what I can see flowing, but I don't know where the source is. And so because the source is uncertain, Amen. I don't know if I'm up in your business or not, but you got kind of quiet on, on that point. But I want to be careful partaking of something that I don't know where the real source Because, you see, I, I got enough sense to know this, that the faucet's not the source. That's just where it's flowing from. But that's not where it's coming from. And there is a source somewhere. And so Paul said in 1 Thessalonians in five and six he said therefore let us not sleep as do others but let us watch and be sober I've got to make sure that I am diligent in my walk with God I've got to make sure that inside internally where it all the heart is beating and the blood is flowing I've got to focus on those things that are still going to be standing after the judgment of God has swept all the non-essential things off the earth I want to make sure that I am connected to the correct source Colossians 3 and 2, the Bible says, set your affections on things above and not on things of the earth. For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And so I think the secret to being attached to the purpose of, of God is to be detached from the things of this world. If we're going to be connected to that world, then i got to be disconnected from this world as much as possible. And so we need to plan like we're going to be here forever, but I need to live like God could come for me at any moment. And he could come for the church at any moment. Well, I think we're all aware of that. But before you try to chase out all the nuances of Scripture to figure out when the Lord is coming, can I just tell you this? He could come for you in the next 30 seconds. That's the weightier matter. Not when he's coming for the church. And I'm not trying to minimize that at all. Not when he's coming for the church, but when he's, is he coming for me? 
That's what really needs to matter. And so I've got to live as though he could come for me at any moment. Live every day with heaven in view. Amen. I don't want this world to have an influence on me. I don't want it to jade my way of thinking. Philippians 3 and 20, the Bible says our conversation, or that word means citizenship. Our citizenship is in heaven. And so that's why the songwriter could pen the words, and that's why we joyfully sing, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. In Philippians 1 and 21, Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul wasn't arrogant. He wasn't being cavalier about life or death, but he was just being very clear and succinct about his position. As for me, like Joshua said, in my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. Paul was just that clear and just that concise. He said, for me to live is Christ, but if I die, it's gain. What he was trying to say, if I live, I win. If I die, I win because I'm investing in the right world. Hallelujah. The book of John 17, verses 11, 14, and verses 16 uh, alludes to Jesus' prayer that he said, let us be in this world, but not of this world. And so I've got to be careful to observe. I need to open my eyes and my heart and my mind that Jesus was not asking for his church to be taken out of the world. What he was really asking was for the Lord to take the world out of the church. And to be sure we live in the world, but I can't let the world live in me. Because you see, a boat in the water is doing what it was designed to do. But a boat with water in it is soon to be in trouble. One Bible commentator said this, Identification with the world and its needs is one thing, but imitation of the world and its foolishness, that is quite another thing. Identifying the world, identifying the needs of the world, that's one thing. We can put that in this column. But when we start trying to mock and imitate and live like and walk like and talk like the world, that is something altogether different. I'm going to ask our musicians to come if they will. Now, Paul was clearly not advocating that we should be isolated from the world. If, if the church is isolated from the world, then we could never fulfill Matthew 5. Matthew 5 and 13 says this, Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the, law, if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden under the foot of men. He said, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Verse 16 let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and not glorify you, but glorify your Father which is in heaven. And so if the church is isolated from the world, then it can no longer function as salt and light. So the implication is not for us to go on the backside of a mountain and live in obscurity, but to live in the world, but free and not encumbered by the world. And so our motivation for pursuing the unentangled life, perhaps, should be to please him. And so that statement brings us all the way back to our text. And I'll ask you to stand. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 4. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, 
that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. No man called to battle is going to be so distracted with other things that when the trumpet sounds or the call comes that they are not ready in an instant. We go to bed without this conscious thought but we go to bed every night with an assurance that somewhere there's a team of firemen that are asleep but not sound asleep. There's some paramedics that are sleeping but man they haven't checked out because they've given themselves to a cause that is greater than the moment they're living in. And so when the alarm sounds, when the phone call comes, they're not going to say, give me just a moment. We'll be there in just a little while. They're not going to tell you a long laundry list of things that they're doing and we'll be there after a while. But we have an assurance that there is a readiness in their heart and they're going to come with everything they have. Amen. And so man, no man that warreth, no man that warreth is going to entangle himself with the pleasures of life. Amen. And so I ask you this. What pleasure in this present world could possibly outweigh or even compare with the satisfaction of hearing the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. I don't think anybody that ever hears that phrase is going to say, well, I sure wish I could have gone here, done this. Well done is going to cast such a shadow over everything else. Nothing else will matter. Jim Elliot is credited with having written these memorable words who said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Amen. What an excellent summary of an unentangled life. And so I'm going to leave you with these borrowed words. If you find yourself loving anything or any pleasure better than prayer time, if you find yourself loving another book better than the Bible, a house better than the house of God, a table better than the Lord's table, or a person better than the Lord himself, or an, or an indulgence that's greater than heaven's reward, be alarmed. Be alarmed. Warren Wearsby said this, David did not have a sinless heart, but he did have a single heart, and this made him a man after God's own heart. Not a sinless heart. But he had a single heart. And that's what made him a man after God's own heart. One more scripture. Psalms 86 and 11. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Look closely at that last line of that verse with me if you will. He says, teach me thy ways, O Lord, and I will walk in thy truth. And then he says, unite my heart to fear thy name. Unite my heart. God was hearing a man 
that cried unto him and said, Lord, give me an undivided heart. Don't let me get entangled and ensnared with all these other things, but give me a heart after you, a heart that pants after you. Amen. Let's magnify the Lord, can we? Hallelujah. Lord, teach us to love you. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.